thank you so much for tuning in to the logs. Coming up, episode one, when we talk about beauty. Have you ever heard the story of Frankenstein? You'd probably think, and it probably popped into your head right away, a green monster. Very big, very burly, gross. But really, when we speak of Frankenstein, we we should generally refer to the creator, Victor Frankenstein. And what's the classic in the classic movie? You see him at the top of the tower. Frankenstein is... Victor Frankenstein is sitting to the side while his great monster lays atop this bed. The ceiling opens. It's a thunderous night. And instantly, a bolt of lightning hits the monster animating it a conglomeration of body parts brought to life now what am i really talking about here you probably read the the title of the episode and said why is he talking about this i thought this was an episode about beauty i wouldn't say really that frankenstein's monster is something beautiful well actually it begins our argument about beauty well let's not say argument let's say discussion our discussion about beauty. It begins really at a story my uncle told me. When I was young, my uncle would tell me this story about finding your perfect other. You know, as a kid, everybody's telling you what's next, really. This uh, college, then next marriage, then next this, then next that. So there's always some preparation with something, and my uncle was preparing me for understanding who's the perfect person. And he put it this way when he was defining the perfect person. He put he put this way. He said, you create your own monster. You become a Victor Frankenstein of sorts, one that identifies pieces of people that you use to really create something. What he called it was your personal Frankenstein, the one you have in your head. He said that as you grow, as you grow and you experience things, and you experience people more so, more importantly, you find pieces that you pull onto. These could be physical, and they usually are, so you think, oh, I am more personally attracted to X, Y, or Z. Physical traits, they could be hair color, eye color, other traits that I won't get into. But they could also be intangible. Those traits, the physical traits, are more tangible in space. They could also be intangible traits, immaterial pieces 
These pieces are usually connected to the spirit, to a personality, something within the being, something within the physical, something bringing life to the physical person. Now these pieces, both physical and immaterial, are used to create your personal Frankenstein within your head. That's the way my uncle put it. These are the pieces that you hold on to, and they're what really make up your own Frankenstein. Imagine imagine Victor Frankenstein, the scientist now, going and finding pieces from God knows where, and combining them into one great monster. You are generally doing the same thing, but at a much, much more, in a much more mental capacity. Finding pieces of someone that you use to create the perfect person, the perfect partner, the perfect complement to you. So as the story goes, these physical pieces are connected, and with a stroke of lightning, flash of lightning, strike of lightning, probably the best way to put it, he became a reality. Or he came into our reality. He was given a new life, this Frankenstein's monster. And in your own personal Frankenstein, the Frankenstein in your head, they are too given a reality. In your mind's eye, you search for what we're going to call beauty. And this is where it gets important here, because beauty is the focus of today's episode. Beauty is going to define a pulling power, something, as uh, economists would put it, some invisible hand. That's, instead of playing games with the, the economy, it plays games with with you. And before we get into this argument about beauty and the pulling power that it has on us, we need to define what beauty is. Let's explore what we think and how we think of beauty in the natural sense. And naturally, this definition splits into two general camps. There's one which primarily focuses on the physical traits of a being. In our case, in the human case, these are what I defined earlier, these physical traits that one is attracted to. The other is a more immaterial case, a more aesthetic case, a more aesthetic group. It's a general adaptation of the term beauty, and it takes into account these aesthetic tendencies that human beings have, simply based on our tendencies as rational beings. So when we talk about the first camp, we talk about this primal beauty, this primal form of beauty. And before we move on, remember when we speak of primal here, we do not mean primitive, primitive beauty. It instead, it's going to refer to something innate or fundamental within the person, within us. It's within our core. This primal beauty really confides itself in a physicality and in the general reaction that we have to things, the gut reactions that we have to instances and to people. Now take the example that we spoke about earlier, the beautiful person, the person that you find most attractive. The reaction to that person, the thing that you feel, is pleasant. You have an understanding of why they're beautiful because your body's giving you these signals that they're beautiful. We won't get into the signals, but they're there. And these signals are reactions, and they tell you simply that that person is beautiful. This is a pulling power, right, pulling you towards that person. 
Now take the opposite case. Say an example where there's a dead animal, something decaying, something decomposing, and the initial reaction is to really get grossed out, that gut reaction. You shift away, you cover your mouth, and get grossed out. You can see it in a person you know when they're experiencing this way, because of course you've experienced this being a human. You understand that it's not beautiful. Primal beauty simply occurs because we ourselves are animalistic beings, and we react to the physical world in physical ways. And there really is no way around that. All animals really undergo these actions, these types of behaviors, because they simply, they simply occur on the basis of our own homo sapien existence, just as they would occur to other animals of any species. That's primal beauty. Those are primal tendencies. But what about the beauty, the beauty that we feel when the cortex fires at the top of our head? Something where our rationale comes into play. These would more likely be placed at the intellectual end of the scale. And we define them as something beyond the capabilities of irrational beings. And here's another definition we have to make clear. When we speak of rational beings, we're speaking generally of humans. And that's, that's an issue here because usually we, there are many counter-arguments to this idea of humans being at the top of the scale of irrationale and the idea and the scientific evidence that other organisms usually thought of as lesser than humans actually contain the mental capacity to do a lot of the higher order thinking that humans can. But generally for this argument, we're going to be speaking about humans and we're going to use the human rationale as something that goes beyond in terms of higher order thinking and logical thought. Just know that the counter arguments exist and we are not only we are not the only exception. And then when we define all others, all other species as irrational beings, we do not refer to an unreasonableness that usually comes up when we think of somebody being irrational. We refer to the beings that are not capable of that higher order thinking. So it's the humans in this scenario, the humans as the rational beings at the top of the scale, capable of that higher order thinking, capable of the logical thought. And then it's all other beings below them, the irrational. They don't have the ability to conceive rational thoughts, these higher order thoughts, these aesthetic tendencies, the ability to see beauty in something beyond the physical. And that's where, in our scenario, humans really deviate from all others because they go beyond a primal beauty that is usually ascribed to all animals. And it is ascribed to all animals because it's something that simply exists in nature at least in organisms capable of sexual reproduction that require such selective pressures, such as physical attractiveness. This higher order form of thinking gives humans the ability to see beauty and to find the aesthetic in things that are generally not thought of as beautiful physically. And physically, I mean the physicality of organisms. So humans can see a natural stream, see the mountain ranges, the oceans, natural things, material things, non-living things, and find beauty in them. We can also find beauty in other things, things that we create, the buildings that we create, the systems that we create, the art that we create. Just think of the car guy, the guy that'll look at some 60s muscle car and say, wow, she's a beaut. Generally, you'd say, the average person would say at least, I'm not exactly sure what's 
physically inclining you about that car, but you have to see it from his perspective. His irrational being, and he can find aesthetic in these material things that are non-living. And there are many instances of this. Why do we go to art museums? Why do we protect these ancient sites all around the world? Because we see their beauty and we connect to them. They pull us. And again, here comes this pulling action that beauty has. It pulls us to things. You can see in your head that muscle car parked outside a store and the car guy just has to go to and take a picture, check it out. That's a pulling power. Just like in another case where somebody finds somebody else physically attractive, they just go up and talk to them. They're pulled towards them. It's not exactly a rational thought. That's more of a primal beauty. And in the case of the guy with a muscle car, that's a rational thought. They find an aesthetic and they're pulled to it. So when we talk about beauty, are we really speaking of a set of emotions that guide our everyday thinking? Could it be something that pulls us to act? It is something that pulls us to act. We just determined it now. And in most of these cases, in all of these cases, really, we're pulled towards this thing called happiness, right? Everything that we find beautiful, when it comes down to it, if we keep asking the question, why, boils down to, oh, it makes me happy. Take uh, another a student going to college. Ask him why. Their first answer would be, because I want to be educated. Why? I want a job. Why? So I can get paid. Why? So I can do the things I love. Why? Because that makes me happy. Huh. Is that the crux of the argument here? Is beauty a pulling power to happiness? Is beauty pulling us towards things that'll make us happy? And in so, in so describing that and in, in understanding that, Can we find why people act? Can we understand why people act? The core, the core reasoning for why people do the things they do. You could take anything in your life, things that you work for, things that you go to school for, things that you yearn for. Eventually, anything that you really do will come down to a want of happiness. And why don't you do the things that you don't do? Because they make you unhappy. Things that we push away from, we usually don't find beautiful either. Are these just two concepts intertwined and based in human action. It's beauty pulling towards happiness. Let's continue with the example about nature. Generally, humans agree that the statement that nature is beautiful is correct. Uh, What could really be more astounding than the natural streams, the trees, the flowers, the oceans, and the exotic animals that fill the little crevices in between, right? For some people, this causes them to leave the fairly mundane, in their eyes, mundane world of the city. And they go into the wild. They really get bored, they get stuck in a rut, and they see some beauty in going away from whatever's keeping them that way and finding peace in in recommuning with nature. And here we can see again, it's a pulling action. They find it beautiful and they think it's going to make them happy and they get pulled towards leaving and going and hanging out in the wild. Now you may ask, I too find nature beautiful. I mean, you just said that humans can generally agree that nature is beautiful. Does that mean everybody has to return to nature? You'd say, I don't happen to be one of those outdoor type A kind of people. Well, that's fine. That's fine because beauty pulls you in another way. In your eyes, I'm generalizing here, but in your eyes, you could say the natural order of the human communal complex is beautiful. The gridded, hippodamian grid pattern of the city and the tall towers that fill the little boxes that the roads make, the order, the great masses of people working together, doing one job, working for one nation, you'd say that's beautiful. 
because that's the power of human logic. That's human logic manifested in the physical world. We, in and of ourselves, have conquered pieces of land, have conquered our cities, our suburbs, our nations, and we use them to conduct business, and we use them to breed debate, and we use them to engage in sports and and to make art. The things that we find beautiful and the things that make us happy, that's a beautiful thing too. So there are really two broad schools of thought when we speak about beauty, and they connect themselves, and they're always they're feeding off each other. In some cases, they're antagonistic, as we just defined with the, with the people that reject the city and move to the country, or the people that reject the country and move to the city, and that's general again. But what if we define it in this way? What if we say there are two schools of thought when it comes to the pulling power of beauty? We say there is beauty in conformity, and there is beauty in non-conformity. Now, generally, when we speak of conformists, we talk about the people that are living the status quo. And when we speak of the opposite, non-conformists, we speak of people that are rejecting that status quo in some way, some aspect of the status quo. And generally, it's this battle again. Both of them are really adhering to one thing, one ideal, but they're looking at it on opposite sides. The conformists say... This is the way it's always been. This is the way it should be. And the nonconformists say, well, we can change it while still maintaining who we are. And the it that I'm referring to in this situation could be really anything. It could be what we usually think of when we think of conformity and nonconformity. It could be society. It could be art. There's always going to be this pushing and pulling of traditional values that the conformists say adhere to, the status quo, as we said earlier. And there's always going to be something that's pulling against that. Now, before we continue, the question I wish to ask you is, is beauty subject to the artist that creates it? And when we build on that, is the world subject to the natural order of beauty? As we've said before, nature is beautiful. It's an objective statement, generally. So, are we supposed to take that as the objective sense of beauty? Rene Descartes, famous philosopher, once said, and pardon my Latin, if there's anybody that can correct me, please do, cogito, or cogito, Ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. And we can expand that to say, we think, therefore, we are. Now, do we have a say in our own beauty? I think that we do. As we've said before, we can create things from our physical world. Pieces that transcend time. Pieces that penetrate minds. Pieces that breed debate and breed thought. And we're looking at this in two ways. We're looking at this in the conformist sense, where beauty is ordered and, in a sense, piecemealed, and that's not in a negative way. And we could look at this in the nonconformist sense, where beauty can crop up anew and be reborn at any point in time. So think about conformity. Beauty reflects the path of the society, the status quo. Beauty has an order. Art is generally taught. Art is transcribed. And through the gentle course of the world, we adapt our thoughts about beauty. And now in, in those two statements, art is taught, art is transcribed. You can replace art with anything else. Policy is taught. Policy is transcribed. Science is taught. Science is transcribed. And through the gentle course of the world, we adapt our thoughts about beauty. Just think of history. Our aesthetic pull towards art has changed. Our policies have changed. Our science has definitely changed. But we still cycle around a set point. Things follow a trend, and they ultimately give people a sense of certainty. It's comfortable to know. Now, what are you certain about in your life? What are you certain is beautiful? What are you certain makes you happy? In life, we really know of one thing that is certain, and we've expressed this before, this existential torment, an everlasting crisis that all animals face, but humans think about 
this thing that humans really express in what they do. And this thing, of course, that we're speaking about is the end, right? Our end, individually. And everything that we really do in life is against that clock. So when we find things beautiful, when we're pulled by beautiful things towards happiness, we're pulled away from the thoughts of the end. Those thoughts that are felt by every human, no matter the language, no matter the nation, no matter the religion, no matter the time. So when we think of the conformist sense, we think of this status quo that provides people certainty, that allows them to feel comfortable and feel happy. When beauty reflects the path of society, when beauty has an order, when we think of things that are taught and transcribed, we think of this gentle course of the world in which people can live comfortably, and pull themselves towards whatever they find beautiful. And now there's also beauty in nonconformity. We cannot forget that. There is beauty in a counterculture that wishes to upset the status quo and sprout new thought. There is beauty in people that stray away from the path to find their way. There is beauty in people that venture into uncertainty because in their minds they're certain of something greater for them and for others. When some people experience the randomness of life, they're torn away from the status quo because they feel that it hasn't done for them what it's done for others, provide this certainty. So it drives them to search for something else, to find beautiful. People like this break the mold of society because they don't want to raise it. Why raise something that provides people this sense of safety? They want to change it because the society doesn't fit their ideas of certainty. Its story may care not for them. Nonetheless, this idea, this episode is about beauty. What are they find beautiful, they find beauty in something else, something that society may not find beautiful. And they're pulled in a direction to fight the status quo and to upset it. And this struggle, this struggle between the conformist and the nonconformist, this struggle between any it that you can put in our formulas of it was taught, it was transcribed, this struggle between them is beautiful because it is our human struggle. People are pulled into different directions because they're pulled towards their own happiness and they're pulled towards things that they find beautiful. So this is why this matters. Beauty drives us. It pulls us. It pulls our imaginative minds into the world and away from our thoughts. It's why we create art. It's why we write music and it's why we write poetry. It's why we build. It's why we write. It's why we create art. It's why we sing music. It's why we write poetry. And it's also why we build and create and connect. When we understand what we find beautiful and how we find things beautiful, we get an insight on our human condition in our birth, in growth, in emotion, in our aspirations, in our conflicts, and in our mortality, we find beauty. And even beyond these physical aspects, we find beauty in our truths, in kindness, in caring for each other, and in our own immaterial spirit. In the end, all of you are beautiful, not because of what you are, but because of who you are, and because of the beauty that pulls you towards your own happiness, your own personal goals. And it's not because of the body, the physical body that separates you from others. It's the spirit that connects you to others. Remember that what you're driven by is beauty. We've spoken about this pulling power that beauty has on people. True beauty, what we find truly beautiful, drives us towards happiness. It drives us to act upon something. At the beginning of this program, we spoke about Victor Frankenstein, and he claimed to be creating this monster for a betterment of 
the people of humanity. And whether it was for that reason or whether it was for the reason simply that he can do it, that he can create life from death, you can see why he did it. He was a scientist. He was a chemist. He was infatuated with the ideas of life and death, ideas of the end. And he thought creating life from inanimate objects was something that can better himself and better humanity. And that beauty of science pulled him to do so. And then we spoke about my uncle's Frankenstein, and we said that our own personal conglomeration of traits for the perfect partner is a beautiful thing because that pulls you towards that person, and it pulls you towards a happiness. So remember, when we speak about things that are beautiful, when others speak and say this is beautiful or that is beautiful, and even when you yourself is saying something is beautiful, pause for a second and think why. Why is this the way that it is? And I think when it comes down to it, you find things beautiful because they have, at the end, some kind of happiness that pulls you towards them. And remember, we are all human, and we all find beauty, and we find that we're pulled in all these different directions, and that's okay. And that's the best part of humanity, because we're all one in the same, the same species, but we're all different. So just know that when somebody acts in opposition to you, know that they're being pulled towards some other place, some other happiness. And just know at the end that when we talk about beauty, we're each coming from another definition. We're each coming from different senses and different minds, but when it comes down to it, we can all understand why we find things beautiful. And if we understand that, we can grow ever closer. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Logs, a podcast dedicated to understanding. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes and find us anywhere you find podcasts. And please remember to laugh a little.